I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ah. Hey. Sam, now we're in your room. Every week Third a different week, place. New place. Brand new place. A whole new soundscape. Gives everything a particular vibe. Yeah. Uh, what do you think this uh, the, the current vibe is? Like, what sort of vibe is, uh, is this going to bring to the episode? Mellow? A mellow vibe? Not like last week, which was uh, quite a sort of electric, high high sexual intensity vibe. That's what I thought. Yeah, a lot of sexual tension. This is That's dissipated. Um, and now we just have a lovely mellow, okay. lovely mellow chat. Post-coital malaise kind of vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What have I done? That's going to be <sighs> the, the sort of background melancholic thought going around. I wanted to talk briefly about one of the most interesting films I've seen recently, Ender's Game. It's a very interesting film. That's a film which left an indelible cultural impact, and so it probably seems irrelevant for me to even bring it up. Everyone everyone has an opinion about Ender's Game. Of course. Everyone knows that movie. Everyone saw it. Um, but just in case you're one of the tiny minority of humans who hasn't seen Ender's Game, uh, it's a sci-fi epic with Harrison Ford in it, and uh, who's a little kid? Asa Butterfield. Asa Butterfield. Um, Sounds like a, like a Harry Potter name that somehow slipped into reality. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was mooted to be Spider-Man at one point, uh, which is hilarious watching this movie. He would have had to have bulked out like a crazy amount. I know that he doesn't look like Captain America Spider-Man, but seriously... This child, he looked like... You're hench compared to him. Yeah, yeah. He looked like... He reminded me of myself, but he looked like I could have eaten him, you know? When I was his age. Rarely do I think I could take this child, but... Yeah, like, when I was nine years old, if I'd seen this kid, I would have been like, I think I'm actually, like, a gigantic jock by comparison to him. He's obscenely skinny. Yeah, so it's this sort of uh, sci-fi epic about a kid who's recruited to help defend humanity against a race of invading aliens which sounds like a good premise for an entertaining romp. Of course. But instead it turns into this weird military fascist nightmare where he gets like psychologically abused by uh, Harrison Ford, who believes him to be some sort of reincarnation of Sun Tzu leadership material <laughs> genius, um, and ends up uh, making him the head of the entire fleet, even though he's like nine, just, just because he was able to like own all of his uh, friends in class so well and he can play some sort of space game very efficiently they sort of play space quidditch to train you to fight aliens everything about it is strange it's just like you know the um the nerd who's good at dungeon and dragons or the ultimate gamer is actually the most valuable person in the yeah. universe but that, so the thing that's so fucking weird about it is that it is that kind of revenge of the nerds like power fantasy for gamers which is super reactionary it's a very sort of gamer gatey movie but at the same time it has this kind of critical approach to that because it sort of turns out that that's bad yeah it's very so confused. there's this weird like moral at the end 
that they should you know they should never have done that and they've like turned him into this military fighting machine you know robbed him of his childhood and they also cause him to commit genocide but that's the conclusion of the movie is him realizing that he's committed genocide and he ignored the warnings that the aliens were trying to give him via a computer game not more gaming he was going yeah nihilistic as fuck fucking nihilistic (laughs) i don't know how you're supposed to feel as an audience member like this is like mainstream it's probably a 12a this movie right like it's for kids to go see like the main character is child like you know it looked it looked like it'd be like uh divergent or some something like that yeah some sort of young ya sort of thing yeah but instead like the hero is forced to commit a genocide that's darker than anything that fucking happened in the hunger games yeah, yeah, you're I left mean, like completely perplexed about how you're supposed to feel about it. I know they had that like race of alien hornets and stuff in other games that were pretty scary, but it's really not as bad. Jennifer Lawrence never had to commit genocide, so uh, anyway, I sort of recommend uh, seeking it out. There's something something went seriously wrong. I don't know. Like it's fucking miserable as shit. And sort available of game, on <laughs> game of power fantasy about how that's evil or something. Weird. Available yeah. on Netflix. Check it out. Check it out. Anyway, Sam, what is this podcast even about? Great question, Danny. This is a podcast all about a guy, Danny Moran. He's a young college graduate. He's feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders. His mother's an alcoholic. His father was executed. And his brother is currently on death row himself. Jesus. Turns out Danny has the perfect personality profile to become an executioner, of all things, and reluctantly starts working at the prison where his brother is incarcerated. At the prison, he falls in love with his brother's high school sweetheart, Sam Foster, but unfortunately she is also on death row. A very irksome situation for Danny to be in, or at least it would be if this was a adaptation of the 2006 film Love Comes to the Executioner, <laughs> starring Jeremy Renner and Jennifer Goodwin, before they were famous. Instead, it's just a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me is a man who has to fire thousands of volts into people's bodies to kill them, uh, including his brother and girlfriend in the hit black comedy of 2006. <laughs> Danny Moran. Yeah, that was, a, that was a trying year. Sam, for years, I have been dreaming about what would make the perfect story. I haven't got all the details, but I think it must begin with a gruff man finding the mangled body of a beautiful woman in the wilderness. And not a single TV or film has ever used that premise <laughs> until now in the form of acclaimed screenwriter Taylor Sheridan's directorial debut, Wind River, hashtag film of the century. We'll be reviewing that, along with Bertrand Bonello's divisive festival hit, Nocturama, which has recently arrived on Netflix. If you've ever wondered what Dawn of the Dead would be like, but directed by Alan Clark and without zombies, it's kind of that, he said reductively. Plus, we report on the new project from writer, director, actress, and mother, Alice Lowe, Document the latest crazy insane things Jared Leto has done to get into his character in the upcoming Blade Runner sequel and wonder why Colin Trevorrow's career hasn't taken off after making the bona fide classic The Book of Henry. Hashtag second best film of the century. All of which should give me just enough time to pitch my idea for a film which will only work if Jared Leto takes the main role. The film is called Normal Actor Behaves Normally. It's a low-key indie drama about a working actor called Lara Jetto who gets a role in a film and despite just learning his lines and turning up to the set and treating the crew with respect, he still manages to do a great performance. <laughs> I think it's going to be a, a fucking smash.
friend of the podcast, Dougal McQueen, sent us an interesting bit of uh, film tidbit trivia. This is one for the IMDb pages. It's going to be a hit on there. It's going to be in pub quizzes in the future. So we're getting you in on the ground floor. Jared Leto, who plays a villain in the upcoming Blade Runner sequel, Blade Runner 2049, which he talked about last week as being about 2,049 minutes long. Um, he has well he commits himself to his roles yeah you know he became very very skinny uh, to be a heroin addict in dallas buyers club then he started sending uh, condoms and uh, pig carcasses and whatnot around to people to be you know as practical jokes when he played the joke in suicide squad so what's he going to do this time run blades over his skin or something i don't know <laughs> uh no he has well he plays a blind character who's called wallace um and so he blinded himself <laughs> <laughs> because that's the only that's how you get into character you couldn't, you couldn't go into the future and actually live in the year 2049 uh, as a kind of a method move. So he had to just blind himself. He wore contact lenses that made his l- eyes look opaque and restricted his sight while on set. This might just sound like a sort of idiotic, stupid thing to do. But uh, Dennis Villeneuve, the director of Blade Runner 2049, was quite impressed. Um, here's what he said. This, uh, this isn't me talking. This is just an audio clip of him. He could not see at all. He was uh, walking with an assistant very slowly. It was like seeing Jesus walking to the temple. Everyone became super silent, and there was a kind of a sacred moment. Everyone was in awe. It was so beautiful and powerful, I was moved to tears. It's a shame that Jared couldn't see the reaction he was getting. That's true, yeah. Well, you know, he commits. You know what? I'm not impressed. I feel like that's easy. Just put contact lenses in. I can do that. I can fucking do that. He should have, like, had to actually blind himself permanently, you know, with acid or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then do... And it'd be a real challenge playing people with sight for the rest of his career. Yeah, but that's real acting. Yeah. Just playing a sighted person when you're blind. That's much harder than playing a blind person when you're sighted. Yeah. Here's Dougal's uh, comments on this. He says, Funnily enough, Jai Courtney said something similar on Suicide Squad. This one time, he sent a condom of his own... Can I say that? Poop to my trailer. It was like Jesus turning water into wine, except they didn't have condoms 2,000 years ago. It smelled really bad because he'd only been eating cheap hot dogs and cigarette ends in preparation for the role, and he'd been drinking Turkish coffee instead of water. Some of it spilt out the opening onto my phone. It was kind of a sacred moment. It was so beautiful and powerful. I was moved to tears. It must be of a real. Course. It's a real experience working with uh, Jared Leto. On I a don't movie. want any kind of crazy shit he's going to do next. Yeah. Do you think like it's hard? Like, how does anyone else act? Because he brings them into the actual world of the film yeah. so convincingly. How is he supposed to? How do you act? You, everyone has to throw their scripts away. You've moved to the future. This is Blade Runner. How does he hit his marks if he's blind? <laughs> <laughs> Surely the thing to do would be like to practice with vision. Yeah. Then if you really have to have the contact lenses in. Maybe in the movie he's always going to be somewhere off on the edge of screen, you know, like <laughs> clearly on, in the wrong place, standing directly in front of people. <laughs> just sort of wondering. The camera just jerks backwards and forwards trying to follow his movements. We won't know until we see the movie, but judging from the trailer, he seems like this sort of Elon Musk like weirdo. Uh, so I think it's quite good casting, you know. I feel like Jared Leto would be the kind of man who makes robots in the future yeah, and sort yeah. of fetishizes them. Yeah, definitely. It totally fits with, you know. It's better, much better casting than the Joker. Can't wait. Can't bloody wait. I'm going to blind myself until the movie comes out. <laughs> <laughs> when I next open my eyes, I oh. want to be watching the opening credits for Blade Runner 2049. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking 
house M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print One of the best films of this year was Prevenge, the the directorial debut of Alice Lowe, who also wrote it and starred while she was pregnant, playing a pregnant woman on a revenge spree. And she is not resting on her laurels, and she has announced her new film called Time Stalker, which will involve her reuniting with Western Edge Pictures, who produced Prevenge. She describes it as a metaphysical rom-com in which the lead character Agnes is reincarnated every time she falls in love with the wrong man. And is further described as a hilarious violent tale that encapsulates the female romantic predicament in multiple eras. Lowe will star alongside an ensemble cast that will occur throughout history, um, as depicted in the film. It's going to be produced by Vaughan Civil, uh, who says the whole Western Edge Pictures team is thrilled to be getting our teeth into Time Stalker and working with Alice again. She is a unique talent in the industry, a real joy to work with, and incredibly brave in the challenges she sets herself. It's going to be a riot. And then Lowe added, I am thrilled to be working with Western Edge Pictures again and so excited to wrangle this crazy adventure that's been lurking in the back of my mind for over a year. I want to bring to audiences the concept-driven comedy that I enjoy but I haven't seen on the screen for a while. It's going to be colourful, splashy and wild. I can't wait. Get a fucking room, Alice Lowe and Western Edge Pictures. Jesus. Oh, I'm so Circle excited. Jerk. Give us a rest. It sounds great. It sounds like she's really upping the uh, canvas that she's working with. It sounds like a much uh, higher budget will be required. Yeah, no, time traveling. It's basically no sets or anything in Prevent. Like, <laughs> just, I'm in your house, I'm in your office. Uh, but this sounds like a bigger deal. It's cool. Isn't this like kind of a similar premise to uh, Hawk Girl and Hawkman? <laughs> That's what I was thinking when you were reading this to me. From the hit TV show Legends of Tomorrow. From the hit TV show Legends of Tomorrow. And I assume, you know, that's also faithful to the arcs of their characters in DC Comics. But they are destined to be together and they are constantly getting reincarnated and falling in love again. Again, throughout uh, history. And whenever she falls in love with the wrong guy, uh, something bad happens, and she, you know, she has to end up with the, the right guy eventually. So it's a bit like that, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> total plagiarist. It's fucking plagiarist. You're making Hawk... You're making Hawk Girl! <laughs> Don't call it Time Stalker. This is Hawk Girl. Yeah, I feel like the, uh, the rom-com time travel thing has been attempted, and most recently it's been attempted in the films The Time Traveler's Wife and About Time, both weirdly starring Rachel McAdams. She loves time travel movies, and they both fucking suck. Stay in your own time stream, Rachel McAdams. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so I like the idea of Alice Lowe doing it, and I don't know. Do you, like as Prevenge, uh, Prevenge is like one of those movies where you can easily imagine the bad version of it, which is just like the sort of one note joke of like you know sort of bargain basement like video nasty kind of version, but it's like rooted in a lot of psychological reality. Yeah. So I'm sure she can just repeat the trick and just you know. Is the, is have the a lot time traveler's wife like problematic and creepy in the way that um, About Time is? Yeah, well, like, it's it's not so much creepy, but it's, like, got this horrific plot point about how they constantly try and have a kid, but because the kid is a time traveller, she keeps on having miscarriages. So it's, like, a lot of the movies about her Wait, having why, failed pregnancies. That, why does that follow? Because the, the fetus is travelling in, in, in time. Yeah, it's fucked that up. Is just, that's just absolutely a bananas idea. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm just a, remember. I'm, a, I'm afraid your fetus has travelled in time. There's just like many scenes of Rachel Adams like clutching her chest and like blood appearing, and I'm like, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ! Like, what is this? I thought it was like a schmaltzy yeah. rom-com, you know, about it. I met the perfect guy, but he's in. We're at different places right now in time. Um, but um, maybe this will be better. Who's going to play the horrible guys? I want to. Yeah, sounds like a great role. Well, there's a, there's a string of horrible guys in Prevenge. Or, you know, not necessarily horrible, she just the just, wrong guys. She can get the, the cast of Prevenge back. 
But yeah, Revenge was great. Announced her as a real talent. I think just... it's great that she's getting something off the ground quite quickly afterwards. And it seems like a seems like a bigger movie as well. So it's cool. At this rate, her next film is going to be like uh, Infinity War 3 or something. You know, she's going to go straight into the Marvel stables. What do you think like just making a film while pregnant was like such a challenge? Like, I need to find something as conceptually bold to do that matches having to do that when pregnant. Time travel movie, different periods. Need to create a mountain for me to climb here. Yeah, she didn't get on the easy read of like uh, someone with a baby who's a serial killer or postnatal revenge. I don't know. That's also that's <laughs> a pretty good title. Post <laughs> fatal depression or something. Post fatal depression. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Star Wars news. Wow. Finally, uh, nothing beats that thrill when you're hearing about a new thing that's happening in the Star Wars universe. But this is sad, or it's great news, depending on your perspective <laughs> on these matters. Depending if you're Colin Trevorrow. Depending on whether you're Colin Trevorrow or not. So, Colin Trevorrow, he was lined up to direct Star Wars Episode Nine, following Ryan Johnson, who's currently directing Episode Eight. Well, not anymore. Bye. Bye, Colin. Uh, he's been fired from that job um, by Lucasfilm. A rather non-specific guarded statement was made by Lucasfilm. Um, They said, Lucasfilm and Colin Trevorrow have mutually chosen to part ways on Star Wars Episode Nine. Colin has been a wonderful collaborator throughout the development process, but we've all come to the conclusion that our visions for the project differ. We wish Colin the best and we'll be sharing more information about the film soon. Do you reckon you get to see the hearts of the real feelings here if you just read that much more sarcastically? Yeah. Colin's been a wonderful collaborator throughout the development process, but we have all come to the conclusion that our visions for the project differ. We want to make a good film, Colin. Yeah, Colin wanted to put in a... His vision was shit and we were thinking not shit. Yeah. Do you reckon it was a bit of a black mark against him that his last two films were awful? Yeah. Today. Well, I would say, like, Safety Not Guaranteed is a, pre- a very nondescript, quite bland indie movie, which for some reason propelled him into the stratosphere. But, like, Jurassic World is such a sort of producer's, you know, kind of hack movie, which just seems to be like, you know, anyone could have directed it. So I wonder if he was hired because he was just, like, a safe pair of hands that would just execute the brief given to him by the producers. But then maybe Book of Henry was so bad that, like, we can't trust any of his instincts at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got to fire this guy. Yeah, it's just bizarre. I mean, I feel like the reaction on film Twitter just seemed to be one of uh, jubilation. Everyone was just thrilled that he's gone <laughs> because everyone just thought he would do a terrible job. Well, yeah, Jurassic World, like, was awful. It was, like, a really yeah, bad, yeah, really bad, bad blockbuster. That's what's quite funny about, if we discussed it before, about how if you're, like, a white guy in Hollywood, you basically can do no wrong. But it took a film as bad as Book of Henry to, like, derail him. We like, it had to, to be, movie. like, uh, get, like, 8% on Rotten Tomatoes yeah, for him to yeah, get fired. Yeah. I feel like if it was 20%, he'd still have the job, Yeah, yeah. you know? We should um, see this movie, man. Yeah, yeah. I really want to see it. Sounds, like, totally nuts. So, I think the rumor mill is that they'll just get ryan johnson to do number nine which would be great even though i haven't seen episode eight i just have faith in ryan johnson to deliver a good movie 
Do you reckon like part of the problem that they're having with the Star Wars universe and directors is to do with like they aren't sure what sort of um, attitude to take in terms of directorial vision because the original Star Wars movies are not director driven, at least not in the kind of popular imagination. You know, like not many people know the names of the directors of uh, Empire Strikes Back and uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not director's movies. And so when they're trying to create this new universe, they don't have George Lucas as the authorial voice behind it. They should (laughs) just hire one director and just have them make all the movies. Or they could have done something like that. And they're sort of making it up as they go along in a way. And it does not seem to be working out that well for them. But maybe they will try to call scratch by getting one of their like J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson to just make another movie because they're like... Well, I think the production of Episode Eight was like very smooth and like there weren't any reshoots. The plan was executed. Yeah. Ryan Johnson like towed the line. There was no problems. Everyone signed off and everything. He said something on Twitter like, I'd be delighted to do another Star yeah, Wars yeah. movie, didn't he? So Whereas I think Force Awakens, it went through a lot of like rewrites while they were shooting it and it was an evolving script, which right, I think you can sort of true, tell yeah. in the final uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, product. Yeah, absolutely. So Ryan Johnson's probably out of, you know, all the turbulent Star Wars films of production. His one's been the smoothest. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let him do the others, I'd say. There's another, there's, there's some other possible candidates. Birth Movies Death published an article where they were listing possibilities. They suggested, in addition to Abrams and Johnson, Ryan Coogler, uh, the director of Black Panther, uh, Catherine Bigelow, Ava DuVernay, uh, and Ron Howard, uh, who's currently polishing off the Han Solo solo yeah. film. Um, I don't know if this is more of like a wish list than like an actual likely options. Like I don't know. Uh, yeah. Catherine Bigelow has never directed a sort of tentpole studio movie before. Well, I guess if they want a safe pair of hands, I'll just turn to the two people they've like had good working experience with. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, think, I think Abrams and Johnson are much more likely than any of the others, but it would be cool if they just gave it to Ava DuVernay or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. If they went over to see the rushes for A Wrinkle in Time and were like, this woman is knocking it out of the park. Give her an even bigger film. Looking forward to Star Wars. Probably go see it. Probably go see it in the cinema. I'll probably go see that in the cinema. Yeah, looking mm. forward to seeing it. It's going to have aliens. It's going to have lightsabers. It's going to have that music that you like. Carrie Fisher's last performance. It's going to be pretty poignant. Yeah. Do you reckon they're going to end it like at the end of Fast and Furious 7? You know, she drives off into the sunset, <laughs> like winks at, um, I don't know, Finn or something. <laughs> winks at Ray. They're both in their like space, <laughs> space cars. And uh, yeah, you know, she just sort of drives off, waves goodbye. She retires. I reckon she'll just meld into the force, right? That's how most of those sort yeah, of badass hair. You're right. She's got to go that she's, way. You know. Yeah. There's, there's got to be a scene of somebody poking about in her robes that she, but she's gone. She's in the force now. Yeah. Strike me down. I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Kylo. I think if they really <laughs> want to tug on the heartstrings, they're going to CGI. You know how they can resurrect anyone and do anyone now? Yeah. They should do that with Carrie Fisher and uh, Alec Guinness and just have them meeting in the afterlife. Yeah. They're both still hanging out in the ghost world. Yoda's there as well. It's true. They sort of have a huddle. They have a big group hug. Yeah, they never met. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They should meet for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Not reunite, but just meet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do you get my message? (laughs) (laughs) Hey. Hey, help me, Obi-Wan. I heard a lot about you. You are my only hope. <laughs> you came through for me, buddy. You really came through, pal. I just wanted to thank you, man. That was that was. That Sorry, was, it's taken me thirty years. That but was class. That was class, mate. Shut down the tractor beam. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> Love this guy. Yeah, it just becomes like sort of Kirby enthusiasm. <laughs> hey, 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 this guy, Ghost Obi. <laughs> Want to play that kind of chess where the little um, uh, monsters fight each other? Why not? Why not? <laughs> what else? What else we got going on? Not much. Got a lot of free time up here. Okay. 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 And yeah. then credits. All right, see you later. <laughs>
And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ass-clenchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off so Nocturama, this is a film that has been out for a while in other countries and took the festival circuit by storm, quite a divisive film, and it's just arrived on Netflix in the UK. I think they just couldn't book a uh, cinematic release. Maybe it's playing the ICA for like one showing. It's one of those kind of movies. Good, that's a good title for Netflix because it's sort of a thing which you'd be scrolling and like, that sounds cool. Nocturama. Ooh, Pretty cool. So it is directed by uh, Bertrand Bonello and it's a film of two halves and it's about a group of Parisian youths ranging from the early to late teens and in the first hour of the movie you see them uh, plant bombs around Paris in a calculated terrorist attack and then in the second half they hole up in a department store where one of them works and shut down the cameras and they're supposed to rendezvous there and like wait out the night and while they do so they see the what the the sort of news coverage of their events and it's a sort of allegorical rip from the headlines kind of tale it's all in french so i don't have a clip just imagine what some french uh, terrorists would sound like this film has divided people and I feel it has divided me because I couldn't quite figure out what I thought of it. It's a movie that wears its influences on its sleeve and the opening half uh, is a really successful execution of like cinematic tension and it reminded me of uh, the Alfred Hitchcock maxim about the bomb under the table, which I have an audio clip of, which I'll put in now. Four people are sitting around a table talking about baseball, whatever you like. Five minutes of it, very dull. Suddenly, a bomb goes off, blows the people to smithereens. What do the audience have? Ten seconds of shock. Now take the same scene and tell the audience there is a bomb under that table and will go off in five minutes. Well, the whole emotion of the audience is totally different because you've given them that information that in five minutes' time, that bomb will go off. Now the conversation about baseball becomes very vital because they're saying to you, don't be ridiculous, stop talking about baseball, there's a bomb under there. You've got the audience working. But you know what's better than one bomb under a table? Like 12 bombs over several tables around the capital. And um, the first hour where you're just watching people doing stuff and the time is ticking, it's all super, super gripping. I don't know if it's like, that's quite a cheap way to uh, invest in a movie, just have a lot of ticking bombs going at the same time. Yeah. But it's very effective. What if the opening sequence of Touch of Evil was one hour long? <laughs> yeah, exactly. awesome. Yeah, exactly. And it's also very indebted to the work of Alan Clark, specifically his film Elephant, which is all about these killings um, occurring in Northern Ireland. But it kind of... Um, homages or copies his aesthetic of having constant tracking shots and uh the film critic david thompson describing alan clark said nobody has ever grasped the central metaphor of the cramped existence of walking as well as alan clark (laughs) which is quite a lofty thing to say but it does fit this movie in it's about people at odds with their environment and sort of lashing out because they don't can't process how they're feeling and feel that society has left them behind are they are they muslim no they're all white are they couple of them are mixed race but it's like a real it's not like they that's the sort of point of the movie is that they don't really have a political ideology yeah so i assume that like this draws on the bataclan attacks right 
that's the that's the direct background for the movie or well it happened when was that bad uh i think it's 2015 was it? no i think that it's it was in production before oh, that oh really this okay. is what's given it a very timely uh feel because it, i don't know like it seems so timely because there's a terrorist attack every couple of months yeah. so like when it was being made the bad t- attacks happened and then by the time it was released another terrorist attack happened right which is why it became such a sort of hot topic uh festival ticket um, but in the second half, it becomes this commentary about consumerism, you think, because it's about the department stores, very Dawn of the Dead. And it becomes quite arch in its construction because, like, there's no real reason for them to be in a department store other than you feel that the director is making some kind of points. And I couldn't decide whether he was making this thing about how it's this kind of rage of youth, not knowing how to express itself, and these people who need help and. It's a commentary on modern society and how it's left people out in the cold, or it's a sort of slight kids today attitude. And it's a bit like the clarity of the first half of the hour, which is just like an action movie, and then the second half is like an essay. And I can't decide whether I agree with him or his, or the points he's making are particularly articulate or insightful. Is um is Alan Clark's elephant like Gus Van Sant's elephant? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's both based on the parable about the old men describing the elephant. Do you know this? There's like two elephant-based uh, like old stories. Like one's like in Elephant, the Alan Clark one. It's the elephant in the room because it's about Northern Ireland and no one's discussing it. And the film is just you see these people being executed and it's all silent and like tracking shots. And then in the Gus Van Sant one, it's the elephant as in uh, if you get a bunch of blind men in a room touching an elephant, they all describe a different animal because right. it's so many different parts of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your question? Well, I was, I, <laughs> sorry. I, no, no. I, I, but where I, I was going is that like uh, Gus Van Sant's Elephant is like a kind of it's about school shootings. It's about school shootings, but it's like I haven't actually seen the movie, so you know, yeah. Things have been sold, but like I got the impression that it was a kind of meditation, like meaningless violence. Yeah, that like it's impossible to grasp where this has come from or what its purpose is, and it's just horrifyingly like nihilistic, empty violence signifying nothing. There's no clear explanation for it. It's just awfulness that just kind of happens. Yeah, you know? um, and that that is if is that is that the approach of not drama or is it like because I don't know. I mean the the the, the phenomenon of uh, like large scale coordinated bombing attacks is highly political. Yeah. So to strip the political context away and present it as a psychological thing seems like weird. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, like, I that think that's like you've, weird... you've, you've got to the root of it in a way because yeah. I'm not really sure what he's trying to say. And then, like, it was definitely it's a very involving film, and just by the subject matter, it's like very gripping. But by the end of it, I was just a bit like I couldn't decide whether it was just a bit kind of cheap, yeah, and yeah. a bit perverse. But it's worth watching. So this is a review where I like, please watch it and explain to me what did uh, you review write it? In, write in, write and in, let, and let, let, us know let us know what, what it means. Should have been, but it is on Netflix. So you can watch it whenever. It's definitely worth a watch. I think maybe it's like a film where the conversation you have after it is maybe is more enlightening than the actual movie. Yeah, it's obviously meant to provoke uh, a reaction, and it does that. Whether it does that in a particularly thoughtful manner is a matter of debate. I'm sort of leaning towards this, like, like it's a bit of a. Little, little cheap sometimes in the yeah. the things it deploys, in the devices it deploys. But worth a watch. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak 
Or do they interrupt each other? Not as long. The guys are in. So let the chat begin. Stop talking now. From one thought-provoking film to another. So, Danny and I got to see a preview screening of Wind River. That was fun. We didn't, we didn't pay for it. Didn't it pay for free, it. Preview screening. We got a free beer as well with it. So, I was sitting down primed to fucking love this movie. I was already, I'd already half-composed a tweet, Wind River, film of the year. Um, <laughs> I was just about to press send. I was just about, and then the credits started. I was like, I'll just, I'll just give that a bit. I'll just wait on that one for just a second. Give so it five th- minutes. Just give it five minutes. So it's directed by Taylor Sheridan, who's the writer of Sicario and... Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water, which came out last year. That's me pointing at Danny to help jog my failing brain. Doesn't work. Thing doesn't work. Shouldn't be doing a podcast. Um, so it's his first directorial debut. He's better known as a writer, but even as a writer, he doesn't has. He's kind of come out of nowhere. This guy, and everyone's suddenly talking about him. I don't yeah. know. It stars Jamie Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. Jamie Renner plays a uh, hunter on a Indian reservation or Native American reservation um, in Wyoming called Wind River, and he uh, discovers the body of a woman who has died in the snow and has obviously. It is obviously a homicide, and they end up calling in a young FBI agent, um, Elizabeth Olsen. A rookie. A rookie, a young rookie. She's not used to the land and the the, the snows and stuff. You know, no. she's a city girl. What's she doing out here in the country? Not going to last long in that kind of, you know, attitude or whatever. Uh, and Jeremy Runner kind of takes um, her under his wing, and they both investigate this killing together. Here's a clip of Jeremy giving some of his backstory to Elizabeth. Got that phone call the next morning. <clears throat> from Natalie saying that Emily was missing she was worried naturally they were best friends you know we tried to be very careful with Emily tried to plan for everything but we let our guard down barely I tell you you know, you may have kids one day. You cannot blink. Not once, not ever. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Whoa. Whoa. I can see why this guy has such demand. Um, say so it wasn't very good. No. It sucked. It, it was bad enough that it made me reevaluate my opinions about his previous movie. Because <laughs> I liked Sicario, and then uh, I sort of liked Hell or High Water, but I had there were some things about it that I didn't like. And this film felt like the issues of those two movies kind of magnified, and like that's the entire film basically. Uh, and well, this when, is pure Sheridan, right? There's no Sheridan, there's no I director so. yeah, mitigating. Yeah. And also, it just feels like this is with the least of an idea behind it yeah like sicario is this kind of geopolitical context uh hella high water um there's some kind of thing about banks in there um <laughs> and at least it has the model of a kind of bank robbers on the run movie right which yeah. i think is maybe intrinsically you know more interesting but this kind of like um a girl dies and they have to investigate the crime thing is like the stuff of tv episodes sure you know you can watch about four thousand scandinavian dramas with that premise yeah and, and finding a beautiful woman who's been murdered is just like the tritest like way to open it so you know it's got to do something to overcome its relatively like hackneyed setup and it just leans into every possible cliche um 
And we were joking before seeing the movie about whether it was just going to be like these sort of gruff men staring out over wide landscapes and like mumbling to each other about the land. And and that's exactly, that's <laughs> exactly what it was. <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, I was sort of, it, it started to lose me quite early on. And then by the end, I was just like, this is just... Yeah, the thing is, like, it's very try, as you said, and it's, you know, it's a kind of genre movie, but it doesn't even give you the basic genre frills. Like, I've got a lot of time for, like, a, you know, a sort of well-worn idea of it's, like, well-executed. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, the whole buddy, you know, she's from the city, he's from the town. If it was a good version of that, I'm happy to watch that. But it kind of dispenses, like, it's almost like it's above that kind yes, of stuff exactly, yes. and so it replaces uh you know plots and uh, stuff that's exciting with this this like drab atmosphere that is somehow saying something a lot of monologues a lot of like, monologues yeah. a lot of men being men and it's very sort of sub cormac mccarthy wannabe austere western and uh yeah and i think the thing that's it's, it's quite exploitative as well it feels quite cheap there's a lot of like there's a scene of like extreme sexual violence which is completely unnecessary and kind of put in there just for a bit of titillation. I don't know. Like it's horrible. The thing that's so like idiotic about it is that it occurs in a context where you can see it coming like a million miles away. Yeah, and they still have to show it. There's absolutely no need for it, uh, and it's full of little things like that. And it's it's the thing is so grating that it's feels like it's trying to say something. <laughs> yeah, like it's really got something to say about America and men or something like that. And to to have to have it be so like devoid of any like tangible message or content <laughs> except for just the horriest of cliches, it's like being stuck with the most boring kind of American dad in a car as he tries to teach you life lessons. And Jeremy Renner is the most objectionable like male hero since um, Chris Pratt's character in Jurassic World. The perfect man. They Flawless. both share this thing of being perfect men. And constantly, rather than, they're the central characters in their respective movies, and rather than the movies being about them learning lessons and changing over time or something like that, it's just about them teaching other people how to be as good as them. Yeah, particularly women. (laughs) Particularly women, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, like, that dynamic of the sort of city slicker, you know, trying to make it in the out, you know, the wilderness, whatever, is just just the sexist, uh, tired shit about how... Um, you know, she's plucky but can't quite hack it and has to be at every turn saved and, ha- you know, constantly have everything explained to her. Um, and then the other, fe- there's basically no other female characters of note whatsoever. And it's got a very uh, unpleasant attitude towards grief as well. So the uh, the young girl's family, she's like a Native American girl and Jeremy Renner is friends with uh, her father um, and mother. Uh, her mother is completely sidelined by the movie, like, basically doesn't exist. She's in one scene horribly self-harming, and then they're just like, well, you know... That's what happens. That's what happens, like, that's used to teach Elizabeth Olsen lessons somehow. Uh, and then the rest of the time, um, her dad pops up a couple times, that he's not really that important, uh, and he's mainly there for Jamie Renner to teach how to grieve properly. Of course. And this really strange scene of Jamie Renner um, launching into this speech about uh, what he learned from a grief counselor and he, like it is like five seconds after this man has learned his daughter has died and he's already like you know giving him an explanation about what he should be doing and it's like yeah 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 it's just idiotic he well, just tells him the most meaningless like shit lean into the grief or something like that it's like well as you mentioned in your intro like one of the sort of interesting things about Taylor Sheridan's movies is the the where they're situated like so kind of this sort of geopolitical thing 
hella hot wide was about this sort of dead and post-industrial America. And there's something interesting about making a Western, specifically about Native American people, years after being colonized and like, what's it like, like being a Native American? And like the end code of the movie has this stats about how a lot of Native American women go missing and there's no register for Native American women. But the film is purely from this white male gaze. It's not at all about Native American culture yeah, it's at all. Yeah, bizarre. It's a bizarre it's, decision. And so they're literally just the window dressing. And it, like, you know, you know, it's just a dead girl in the snow. I don't know why he bothered even to name her, you know? The, the like, only, the it's just only, a MacGuffin. The only purpose of the Native American stuff is so that there can be a couple of la- lines about the land and the, what you've taken from the land some kind of like vague nods towards colonialism yeah, but it's yeah. not dramatized in any way there's nothing in the actual way that the story plays out that informs that whatsoever yeah it's mental but if like the impetus for the project was about native american women going missing why, why isn't the main character? why isn't the main character native american woman yeah like, why isn't the dad doing the fucking investigation why does it have to be this why like, is it hawkeye <laughs> why is it the sort of guy who's figured it out and it sort of allows it's this it's this uh, trick basically that allows the white guy to be the uh, the the sort of colonized in a way. He's like a kind of honorary Native American in the movie. Yeah, because there's another outsider. Because so, there's another outsider. So because so, yeah. Elizabeth Alton is the white outsider, basically, who comes in and doesn't get it, and he has to you know be the one to make sure that everyone else gets it. Uh, but if it's if it's got some kind of critique, if it's some kind of colonial critique for the movie, it just simply doesn't make any sense. You know, there's yeah. no sense of how they live either. There's nothing about like, there's no sense of society or community in the movie. You don't, you don't, it's, it's an unusual setting for a film I mean, quite a cool setting. And I like the idea of having this like Native American reservation where um, they're stretched very thin in law enforcement. You know, and, sure. they're, and they're living very different well, kinds of lives kind of, to other Americans. You know, but... it's like it kind of presents it as like lawless, like the old West was. Yeah. But like, the you know the wounds run deep and it's like, got a similar kind of it does have a bit of that um post-industrial malaise from hell high water as well isn't it they're this sort of like well, there's nothing to do out here yeah it's like a sort of shit winter's bone you know yeah <laughs> like a sort of and there's just uh i don't know the all of the like minor characters in the action of the movie is just stuff you've seen a million times like uh, kids who take drugs and are therefore evil and uh just like men who uh are builders and are rapists you know it's like Nothing, it's one of the least surprising films ever. Yeah. And it's just leavened with uh, constant monologues as though it uh, has something to tell you when it absolutely doesn't. It reminded me, like, I feel like it's a real trope. Uh, it's in, like, Skyfall a lot. It's like, just staring at a landscape does not equal depth. Yeah, it's a a lot, it is a lot like, <laughs> yeah. It's actually, Skyfall is quite a good comparison because it's a similar thing, right, where it's like... This means something. There's but... a poem in it. You know, that's how you know it's meaningful. Yeah, I wrote, I didn't really write notes, but I'd write, it's a dull, pretentious, exploitive film that basically sucks in every conceivable way. <laughs> <laughs> that was my hot take. Yeah, it's really lifelessly directed as well. I think it's no, it's really noticeable that, you know, this guy is not, is not done before. There's nothing interesting in the direction at all. It's really flat. It looks like a TV, like an episode of a TV show. It looks like something where you just like turn over to it on like a, you know, Sunday afternoon and it's on ITV. And, you know, you watch it and you know, then you just, like, immediately forget everything you've just seen. Unless you just get angry about how bad it was, like we did. So five stars? So five stars for Wind River. Out of a billion stars. Yeah. I think I got extra annoyed looking at Rotten Tomatoes. It's got, like, 86%. I was like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> Old white guys, you know? They like, identify Jeremy Renner. I, I, I clicked on the first, um, like, negative review I saw of it, and it was by Deborah Ross and The Spectator, who wrote an unbelievably 
uh, horrible review of I Daniel Blake that was like like snooty and disgusting. Yeah, and I agreed 100 percent with every. What the uh, hell? I was like, what the fuck's going on? Up is down. Cats <laughs> and dogs living together. <laughs> Mass is dead. <laughs> yeah, the uh, yeah her review is her review is bang on. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast All the other ones can kiss my ass Cause I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat Earlier this year, we reviewed One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, generally considered to be one of the best films ever made, often in the top 50 films ever. Since we reviewed it, it is. Yeah, since... We, we brought it out of obscurity and... Uh, since people, I championed this underseen gem. Yeah, people started to realise it's actually pretty good. And, you know, one of the, it's got one of cinema's great villains in the form of Nurse Ratchet, but you're often wondering... What was Nurse Ratchet like before the events of the film? What's her deal? Why What's is she so deal? mean? Why is she so mean? I wish there was like an 18-part TV series about how she becomes so mean. I want to know I want to know who she really is, and I want to know over about 18 hours' time. So, uh, yeah, Ryan Murphy, who is riding high off the success of The People vs. O.J. Simpson, he's the creator of Glee, the director of Eat, Pray, Love, and the Jesus creator Christ, of, a, of, of, of American Horror Story and American Crime Story, those anthology series. And he has signed a deal with Netflix to do a two-season uh, Nurse Ratchet prequel. And he's going to use his regular collaborator, Sarah Paulson, who won an Emmy for playing the lawyer in uh, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. And she's also that woman in stuff. She was in Carol. You'd recognize the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, I mean, apparently the story's going to begin in 1947 and follows Ratchet's journey and evolution from nurse to monster. The show will follow her deadly progression through the mental health care system. Uh, sounds sounds fucking batshit. I mean, why? You know, when you join the mental health system and you're just a fresh-faced young... All you want to do is make sure that uh, you can nurse people back to health, work in their mental health, make them feel better, and then before you know it, you know, you just, you're a monster. You're a monster. You've become a monster. You're just lobotomizing people who just aren't even crazy. From the director of Eat, Pray, Love <laughs> comes a terrifying story of one woman's journey from nurse to monster. Do you think there's something, it's a case of, you know, there's, there's probably a perfectly good TV series to be made about somebody who goes quite, goes into an altruistic profession and, you know, gets seduced by power or whatever, and they just need a bit of brand recognition in the weirdest way. Yeah, maybe. Like, I, I guess. I guess it might be interesting to see the uh, um, American healthcare, uh, mental healthcare system explored. Well, it was terrifying and horrible. It's probably terrifying and horrible. Exactly. Yeah. So, if you have a whole TV series, you probably have time to go into detail about it. Well, if you would like to see a great documentary about that, I'd recommend Fred Wiseman's first documentary, Titty Cut Follies, which apparently they screened the crew, cast and crew, rather while they made One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, I see. Because it's all about the horrific mental health. Uh, just the, the ignorance and the way mental health patients were treated. But it's odd. I mean, but odd, but also in a way genius. And it made me think that they should just do a prequel show about every character from a 70s we, had, film. Well, we've had an Alan Bates prequel TV show. Yeah. Now we're getting a Nurse Ratched TV show. Say so all your iconic uh, villains or secondary characters. Alan Bates? Sorry, Norman Bates. Well, not Alan Bates, Norman Bates. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, From psych- Bates Motel. The psycho guy. The psycho guy, you know, the psycho dude. So I, I've been thinking about some um, characters from movies that I would like to see the early days of. Uh, first up would be Junior Doctor No. 
Just the villain from Doctor Doctor No from the first James Bond movie. The villain from Doctor No, Doctor No, Doctor No. Yeah. But he's not. He's just you know junior back, Doctor back when No. When he was Doctor Yes. When he was Doctor Yes. I mean, he had a more positive attitude. How did he lose those hands? How did he become evil? Yeah. I want to know. Does he have oh, no hands? He's got metal hands. Okay, I haven't seen Doctor No. I'm an idiot. There's a bit where like he's drowning and he tries to like climb up with his metal hands, but he just can't do it. <laughs> it's very like ableist, um, anti like ableist kind of like franchise yeah they've always got like always something got something yeah something's like an arm missing or an eye missing or whatever you know always to contrast with the perfect physical physical specimen that is james bond that's the being casino royale where he's doing mag mickelson is like i won't be in trouble till i'm crying blood it's like he probably had that condition since he's a kid man that's like fucking uncool it's not yeah, like don't, don't fucking be like tease him and stuff about his yeah medical issues it's like you know what do you say to a disabled guy no it's like at least i've got i can run places you know i'm gonna walk out of here which you will never do <sighs> what a dick so anyway, Junior Doctor No. I also um, when Kramer met Kramer before oh, they good. before they get divorced, just their marriage, their yes. courtship, marriage, having the kid. Yes. Um, young Popeye, which is a <laughs> is a French Connection prequel about him as a young cop in but the fifties. But that would be sick. Yeah, it's they true. actually should make that film. Oh my god, I'm that a genius. <laughs> get someone they should who... call it Young Popeye, and it should be a French Connection prequel. I love it. Yeah, it's just him as a you know beat cop in New York in the fifties. It's him learning how to smell his feet in Poughkeepsie or whatever. There's a bit where he goes to Poughkeepsie. He goes he's to smelling his, and he's smelling his own feet. He's like, oh, this isn't. I got to sort this out. I got a serious issue here. And my final idea is um, how that kid learned the banjo in Deliverance. I want to see him like. <laughs> He just doesn't know how to play the banjo, and then someone gives him a banjo, and he learns over 18 hours. That's good. Uh, those are all excellent suggestions. Uh, I'm taking a different tack. I want to use um, my 18-part television series to explore some uh, characters that never got the proper light shone on them. Uh, basically, any Al Pacino movie, the wife origin story. I want to know yes. the, the origin story of Dan Keaton's character uh, in The Godfather. Of course. What, what's she like growing up? What's her origin story? Uh, his wife in Heat. Oh, yeah. Uh, is she the one who has the huge ass? Or uh, or who has the huge ass? Great ass. Actually, I just forget that. Let's have the ass origin story. Who has that great Who's ass? Who's got that great ass? How did it get so good? What was their regime? What was their diet? What was their exercise? How did they get yeah. their ass? So the first episode is like, the ass is horrible. Badass. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like, ooh. ooh. And then 18 hours later, whoa. It's like Run Fat Boy Run, but instead of uh, Simon Pegg, it's just an ass. Just a huge sentient ass. <laughs> it's just an ass trying to improve itself. Of course. Um, and uh, I don't know if he's married in Scarface, but, you know, he has a he has a woman in his... Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. What's her deal? What's her deal? You know, you just really need to drill down into that character. Absolutely. There's a lot there to explore. What's her deal? Um, that's all I got. I think those are excellent suggestions. I, I think... One that I actually think they could conceivably do would be a Harry Lyme movie. Oh, yeah. The Third Man. I feel like that, that that may well be the next announced thing, 18-part series about Harry Lyme in Vienna selling um, a bad paracetamol to, uh, you know... To kids. To kids. To kids. To kids! Yeah. I think those are all excellent ideas. Your idea of doing marginalised women in cinema reminds me of, like, Carolyn Duffy's whole poetry when we used to learn at GCC. Oh, wasn't it all, like, the wife of... Sansa? Yeah, it's like uh, uh, Salome. Yeah, uh, Mrs. Havisham. Mm. All the marginalized women in literature, she wrote a poem about. But you will make an 18-part series about every marginalized woman in cinema. Thus out-feministing Caroline Duffy. Suck it, Duffy! Nice try, Duffy! Suck it, Duffy! Suck it, Duffy! <laughs> Our new catchphrase, suck it, Duffy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Is it, do you think it compromises the progressive credentials of that project if the whole thing is just to sort of own Caroline Duffy? No, I think, it's you just know. Just out of a personal vendetta against that, uh, that poet. 
or poetess, as I insist on categorizing her. <laughs> no, I think it's fine. It's, I think it's fine, it's, isn't it's it? Fine. It's fine. Yeah, well, as long as they get some quality TV out of it, the motives are really not that important. Of course, you know, history won't remember the motives. History won't remember the motives. Don't need to worry about the motives. So, that's all we have time for this week. Next week, join us. We'll be reviewing It. That looks spooky. Want to see It? I want to see it. I want to see it. I just want to see it. You've got to see it. <laughs> as, as the tagline goes, I believe. And uh, the Dennis Skinner documentary you might review. Nature, Skinner, of Nature of the Beast. Yeah, trying to do a little crossover uh, episode with uh, the left-wing political podcast, Real Politic. But uh, just got to get the um, schedules to align, and that's going to happen. Hopefully, we're going to talk about the uh, problem is that we both have a huge list of demands. Need to, it was like when they tried to get McGregor and uh, Mayweather to fight. It took like years of negotiating. We have busy. We had busy a figure. Parents, we came yeah. with a figure. They were like, "That's too high." We went even higher. They're like, "Okay, the original figure." Like, "Well, sorry, that deal's passed." Yeah, yeah. When you have they try to the lowball us, we try the highball them. <laughs> All things are fucking mess. There's a very complex list of riders. Our people are talking to their people. Yeah, they have very demanding riders. Our riders are even more demanding. So yeah, it could be difficult. It's difficult to find a neutral green room for us both to hang out in as well. But anyway, so we'll try and do that. We'll try and do that. Um, and have a great week. Have a great week. Just have a fantastic week. Stay sexy. I know you can. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Stay sexy. I know you can. <laughs> Damn it, how could this have happened? Here's something important to remember about dialogue. No one ever in life starts a sentence with damn it. I'm in a constant state of writer's block. That is my default position. Dialogue is pretty much where the art comes in. Taking some words that someone has just said, holding them in your hand, and then punching them in the face with it. You don't have an idea until you can use the words but, except, and then, I just want to hear your bad ideas. Very bad. Love it. Very bad. Uh, it was, by the way, it wasn't that bad. It's a White House conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this corkboard. This is two hours that needs to be filled. The worst crime you can commit is telling the audience something they already know. You should be evangelical about Aristotle's OS. If there's something wrong with your script, that it's because you broke one of those rules. It's not just that dialogue sounds like music to me. It actually is music. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.